So it's really important both to reinforce the idea that slavery was evil and we're going to acknowledge that it was evil. It was also important to go beyond just the day and go beyond kind of, oh, that's the past, and examine how you build power to fight capitalism racism today. to the Bituation Room podcast live stream coming to you on a Saturday, midday, very random. I hope that everyone listening is is poolside in a home they broke into uh, right now. I'm just going to say it. Do it. Live your truth. No one was, that's their summer home. They won't even miss it. Just use the pool. Um, it is Juneteenth, you guys. It is Jubilee Day, Black Independence Day. We have a, an all-Black excellence lineup for you today. I'm so excited, so, so, so happy. Uh, comedian Maggie May is here. And um, labor labor researcher, specialist, fucking, like, badass, Um when it comes to discussing racial capitalism and the fight for uh, real justice and economic justice, uh, Stephen Pitts is here. He has a podcast called Black Work Talk, and I'm super excited to get to discuss um, the importance of black workers, the importance of Juneteenth with him. He had a very pivotal or a role to play. I'm just I'm just saying that it's pivotal. It might not have been as pivotal. But I hope between now and when he comes on the show, he will make something up about how he helped Texas recognize Juneteenth as a national holiday. <laughs> um, and thank you all for being here. I hope that you are pressing the like button. You're sharing the stream. You're chilling with us. It is a Saturday. And the reason, in addition to being Juneteenth that I'm streaming today, um, is because tomorrow is Father's Day. i got to be reunited with my dad. Haven't seen him in a while. Uh he has been battling cancer and I think has won at this point. Won the battle. I hope won the fight. I don't know about the war, but it's it's big news and I'm excited to see him. Excited to to finally uh, reconnect after so many months of, of being separated. I'm sure a lot of people can understand what I'm talking about. Look, if you have anyone who's who is struggling with cancer treatment or, or any kind of illness right now, we have to be we have to pretend like no one got vaccinated because it's it's scary. Right. Um, but anyway, if you are listening to this in the future as a podcast, which you can always listen to this episode or this this uh, podcast as a podcast, see how that works. Why don't you go ahead and rate it uh, five stars on iTunes? It means a lot. It just warms my little heart, helps people discover. But if you really want to support this show. Become a patron. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. You get special access to all of our bonus episodes early. You also get access to our monthly AMA, which I am doing this month uh, on June 29th. That is a Tuesday at noon Pacific. So mark your calendars. Send me your questions. Uh, those are for our top tier patrons. And I, I love reading your questions. So thanks so much for sending those in. Hey, if you're not on Patreon, but you are on Venmo or Cash App, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App, give me some money. Work is slow. 
I'm just going to be real. Mama's out there trying. I'm trying, but it's slow. Someone's got to put food in Chitty's bowl. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? She gets mad. Um, and with that, to thank all of the people who are here and who've become patrons and who've tipped, this is the fart song. That's right. We are adults. Thank you so much to the new patrons, Meow, Growl, Grizzle, and Truthseeker85. Became patrons at $10 or more. Thank you. To the big tippers, Rebecca H. Thank you. David P. Thank you so much. So, so, so generous, David. And on Twitch, we've got one new subscriber. His name is Dean O'Boyer. Thank you so much. Oh boy, you're a subscriber. Okay. <laughs> and for everyone else, become a subscriber on Twitch uh, right now. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. And I will have news soon because I think I'm going to be streaming a lot more very soon. But until then, let's just dance out the rest of this song together. That was from Kevin McLeod. Of the uh, freely accessible McLeod family, of the uh, royalty-free McLeod family, um, you guys, let's get into the week. This—it's not quite over, but it—it's pretty much a wrap. Um, let's talk about. Well, let's not talk about the week. I'm—I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Clearly, I am without Becca. If I sound stressed, it's because my producer isn't here. She had to celebrate her birthday in Palm Springs. God damn it. Um, no, let's start about what are you bitching about? Okay, we got it. I'm bitching about something very, very quick before I bring in my guest. Um, so, you know, there's like this whole theory that maybe... COVID-19 escaped from a lab in Wuhan, you know, like it like like whistled to the dog to get the keys, you know, to its its cell. And then it like tricked it. And you know what I'm saying? It picked the lock. Um, that's one theory that is still being explored. Obviously, the other theory is that the, the basically the holding theory, like other SARS like viruses, um, that essentially people who traffic and like to eat wild animals in a Wuhan or from a Wuhan wet market, that's probably where it happened, that it jumped from an animal to people. And because, you know, we Chinese, we like to eat some delicacies, some weird stuff. I don't particularly, but, you know, look, I've, I have in the past. Here's my thing with both of those theories. Whichever one is the least racist... Let's go with that one. Like, which, whatever to you, like, will calm your weird-ass anxiety about Asians, do that. Believe that theory. Because it really doesn't fucking matter whether it escaped from a lab where they were literally studying this to try to prevent things like this from happening, which makes sense. Um, and I, I feel like we should sort of thank them for being on the cutting edge of this kind of stuff. Or it was from a wet market. Either way, it all feels xenophobic and weird to me. And so I'm like, whichever one is less racist, let's go with that idea. Because I just want the one that is going to prevent us from entering into like World War Three with China. 
which we will lose because they manufacture everything that we have. Not the weapons yet, but probably soon. Um, I'm also bitching about something very stupid, which is that I changed what was behind me. So I have like these panels on the wall and I change them so that it doesn't look like I have rabbit ears, which um, mostly men love to point out, like, oh, you got rabbit ears. And I changed it and it's like nothing fucking happened because I know my boyfriend looked at that and was like, Something's wrong there. I got to change that back. And he changed, he clearly changed it back unless those panels are alive and they can move. So now I've got bunny ears again and I fucking hate it. If you're listening as a podcast, <laughs> don't you worry your pretty little head about any of this. Um, all right, you guys, with that, I'm going to bring in my comedian guest for the hour. This person loves candy almost as much as she loves performing comedy she made her late night debut on conan and was featured on last call with carson daly and axs tv presents gotham comedy live she's also been featured a featured panelist for rooster teeth what do you know and is written for the new yorker um she's performed stand-up in festivals such as just for laughs bridgetown san francisco sketch fest fun 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 fest moon tower comedy and many, many more. You guys, please welcome the wonderful Maggie May. Woo! Yay! How's it going, Maggie? It's good. How are you? I'm good. Happy Juneteenth. I don't know if it's ha necessarily happy, but it is a, it's a moment. It's a celebration. It is Juneteenth. And I appreciate you being here with me because I know you could be at a number of pool parties, cookouts, et cetera, but you're here streaming indoors with me. It, it worked out fine because I was going to be late to the pool party anyway. So now I have a legitimate <laughs> excuse for not being on time. She literally had a pool party invite. Um, Maggie May, uh, so happy to have you here. And tell me, since you know we just ask every guest when they come in, what are you bitching about today? Um, I'm bitching about hypocrisy. Um, I, I've noticed some people have a sort of a backlash against Juneteenth, like Candace Owen is saying, oh, it's so lame, it's so this, it's so that, and people are being super divisive about it. But a lot of these are the same people who defended uh, you know, the Confederate flag and Confederate monuments saying, this is our history, you can't erase our history. And now they're here wanting us to forget a very important part of our history. It's like, do you not even, or do you not even understand you being hypocritical or do you only think history is a bunch of treasonous losers? Like, what are you really, what are you arguing against? It just seems yeah. like hypocrisy to the nth degree and stupidity. I'll, I'll throw that yes. in too, stupidity. Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, Candace Owens voice, the definitive voice of black America, of course. Um, <laughs> no, she, if I have she one more person tell me to go listen to Candace Owen, <laughs> if I have one more person say, oh, no, 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 just listen to Candace Owen, trust me, you'll check, it's like, I don't have give to give her a to chance, her though. Because... You know, okay, so I had to double check this a bazillion times, but that she actually did as recently as 2016, win a lawsuit against her high school for racial discrimination that she experienced while in high school, not not from administrators or from the school itself, but from, you know, other from racists 
at school. This is 2016. It was almost $40,000 that she won. This is the woman whose grift is to tell black Americans that racism doesn't exist and they need to stop whining. Like, and, 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 year, like, do you remember when Noah Cyrus called her nappy and she tried to get a uh, black Twitter to jump in? She's like, black Twitter, get her. And we were like, we don't know you. <laughs> I thought racism wasn't a thing. I thought white people can't be racist to black people. So what are we getting? And also who's Noah Cyrus? <laughs> what are we getting if we need a little bit of that money that you got? If it's like, you know, five, 10 bucks a tweet or a retweet, you know, mm -hmm. just lay it out. So ridiculous. Ugh. Yes, yeah. the backlash. Ugh. I, I, that hypocrisy you would think would be so evident to so many. And I know we're going to talk about this with mm -hmm. Steven, but um, hey, that's sort of the way that, you know, white supremacy works in our country. And, and also the way that like conservative brains work, which is they don't get satire. Like they don't get the irony. Um, yeah. which I feel it's like we, like, I know critical race theory is important, but I also feel like we need like a class on irony. Like, I, I do think that should be fundamental to our education as well. Well, I think for some people it's, it's a hard pill to swallow to say that the, the country that you live in and you have a flag about right outside of your house, they intentionally didn't tell slaves that they were free for two years and subjected them to two additional years of horror so that they could get a bitch and bumper crop for free and have a nice harvest. That's a hard pill to swallow right after you've sang proud to be an American. So I feel like a lot of people will stop at the first explanation that kind of makes enough sense for them to be able to sleep at night mm. and will vehemently fight to, to make that the truth when it's like, I mean, it's not the truth. We could just confront the truth and just get better or. Yes. You know. I I want to dig more into this because uh, we're going to be talking about Juneteenth in depth uh, with Stephen Pitts. But first, we got to get into the week. A little bit of the things that happened this week, you guys. Um, if you have been living under a rock, <laughs> congratulations. Is there room for me? Um, so <laughs> big tech critic Lena Khan was appointed to the chair of the Federal Trade Commission at just 32 years of age. Um, she's been a big critic of Amazon, so that's cool. Uh, Ted Cruz pledged allegiance to a flag at way too short of range. Uh, the House finally overturned the authorization of military force, which passed in the wake of 9-11 20 years ago. Uh, of course, the GOP will definitely uphold it in the Senate. Um, Biden rolled out his plan to go after domestic extremists, which essentially, if you read the fine print, equates Antifa with the Proud Boys. And that sounds a little bit like the equally bad reverse of Trump's very fine people on both sides. Um, Tucker Carlson is now floating the idea that the deep state did January 6th, because why not? Why, why not? Uh, Girl Scouts have gotten stuck with 15 million boxes of cookies, you guys. 15, what, the, what are we gonna do? Um, that's because of the pandemic, of course, and the Biden administration officially made Juneteenth an, a federal holiday. And for everything else, this is the week where. Okay, some of my favorite stories. This was the week where 
we got leaked audio of Senator Joe Manchin on the phone with a group of big donors in which he asked them if they could help him try and convince Republicans to vote for a January 6th commission so he wouldn't have to do away with the filibuster. Um, this is according to The Intercept uh, that broke the story. The group that he was on the call with was called No Labels, a lobbying group co-founded by the other most disappointing Democrat in history, Joe Lieberman. Um, but let's just look at how this is framed and how, like, how what the leaked audio actually, what he says in it. Um, so this is from The Intercept. Uh, Lee Fung and Ryan Grimm reported on this. And the two, I'm not going to play the audio because it's sort of hard to hear. And, and I want to make it clear exactly what happened. The two parts that I love... Um, are the following. So one, Manchin told the assembled donors that he needed help flipping a handful of Republicans from no to yes on the January 6th commission in order to strip the quote, far left of their best arguments against the filibuster. The filibuster is a critical priority for donors on the call as it bottles up progressive legislation that would hit their bottom lines, meaning they want to keep it. So he not only said, hey guys, could you like convince a few uh, senators to just vote for my January 6th commission or the January 6th commission. That way, I don't have to try and change the filibuster. I can continue to say we need the filibuster and show, hey, there's a little bit of bipartisanship, you know, like which is his whole thing is trying hope against hope that Republicans will come to their senses even on one thing. Of course, we know how this turned out. Nobody voted for the January 6th commission, at least very not enough Republicans to actually create it. The, the second thing that he did, though, is not only ask him to help him convince Republicans, but he floated Roy Blunt, Senator Roy Blunt's name as someone who was retiring soon and that they could maybe like help out with a job once he's out of office. Check this out. So when it came to Senator Roy Blunt, a moderate Missouri Republican who voted no on the commission, Manchin offered a creative solution. Quote, Roy Blunt is a great, just a good friend of mine, a great guy, Manchin said. Roy is retiring. If some of you all who might be working with Roy in this next life, <laughs> next life, could tell him, that'd be nice to, that, and it'd help our country. That'd be very good to get him to change his vote. And we're going to have another vote on this thing, and that'll give me one more shot at it. Help him in his next life. When I read that, I was like, oh, is we're talking about heaven? What is we're oh, it's the, the lobbyist next life. Um I guess what's he trying to I say? Just, like you're trying to get into heaven, you better do this. Right. No, it's his it's next life. Like to totally. I, I feel like I would be more accepting of the idea that Roy Blunt's next life was heaven than what it actually is and what he's referring to, which is his next life as a lobbyist or a, you know, fucking big wig on the other side in the corporate world. Mm. Um, obviously, the joke is on Mansion because the January 6th commission failed and he is still preventing the filibuster from being reformed. I hate that our entire fate, voting rights, infrastructure, stopping fascism, everything depends on a loser winning. Like, this is the loser we got to bank all of our chips on. This is like being a kid and watching your dad invest your entire college savings into crypto and just being, like, unable to do anything about it. Like, I, I'm powerless, but you need to stop. <sighs> yeah.
for me, it's just like people say, follow the money. This is just a huge, huge example of that. It's like, it's literally people who have money who are going to be affected by this with their money, trying to like push little pawns around, which is, it just, it's just gross to me. Absolutely. I mean, we know these kinds of calls take place, but it's, it's grosser to like, yes, see the transcript hear mansion kind of just begging them and it still doesn't work out in his favor. Oh God. Uh, I mean, if this scandalizes us, imagine all the calls that the right is, are fielding, you know, and they're like, Heritage Foundation 5.0 or whatever the f- fuck that they belong to. Um, I want to move on to our next story. We got to burn through this. So this was the week where I found out, at least, uh, about an anti-vax conservative on TikTok who fell into a trap of her own making when she launched into a lengthy diatribe about why the vaccine is free, uh, and then just sort of stepped into an actual progressive talking point. Take a look. Let me ask you this. If giving out free COVID vaccine shots is the health of the nation, then why don't they give out free chemo? Why don't they give out free insulin? Food for thought, if the government really cared about people, they would make stuff like that for free. So it should make you think as to why they're pushing this free vaccine. Yeah. Look, I get why the right loves private property. Um, Cause they're so good at self owning. <laughs> uh, oh, she, she's like, it, it's just amazing. She's not wrong. Yeah. It, it is weird that the government would help us. It's like, they finally realized maybe they shouldn't let us all die. You know, like maybe us living helps the country. Um, but she she's proving this point. She's prov- proving the point that in these extenuating circumstances, healthcare should be free and maybe in all circumstances, like cancer treatment, like uh, insulin, shit should be free. But like her know, reaction I, I think- is, is the opposite. It's, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, no, well, the government doesn't love you, so there. I've noticed that a lot of conservatives, when you're Mm. arguing with them, it's not even necessarily about what it is. It's just being contrary. You know, they've just got to argue against everything. And sometimes they're not even like really thinking about what they're saying or thinking about the ramifications. And the sad part about this woman is she's talking about really progressive things, but I don't think she's advocating for them. I think that she would be finished with this little thing and still think, oh yeah, people need to pay millions for chemo and people need to pay millions for this. So people should be paying for this, for this thing, you know? So, I mean, she's stumbled upon the right thing, but I think she's still on the wrong side of history. (laughs) Totally. Ass backwards. It's the same thing. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Her, her idea is like, well, I feel like if she finished the thought, it would have been, that's why they're microchipping us with the vaccine. You know, that's why they are because they don't care about us. Otherwise, we would have free insulin. And it's it's interesting because you realize like, you know, what is it from World War Two or from even before? But like the old saying of like, you know, anti-Semitism is like the ignorant man's um, socialism 
or you could say racism or xenophobia is the ignorant man socialism in a way that like, cause it's like, look, they identify the problem, but their solutions are like, like, well, that's why we, that's why Marxism has to be eliminated from the country. Or that's why, you know, Ilhan Omar is the devil, or that's why Bill Gates is trying to control us through the microchip. It's like, or that's why Q drops are the only truth. You know, it's, it's like taking the easy off ramp to an honest problem. Um, but you can also not blame someone like her for like looking at the fucking state of healthcare and being like, Oh yeah, the government doesn't care. Why wouldn't they give us free stuff? Anyway, I I do think there's someone in the comments who's saying that, you know, the the left and the right have a lot in common. I would agree, but again, they're they're being duped by people who are super pro corporate who would never allow insulin mm. to be affordable or free, right? And they would more easily buy into and this is the thing, it's like you got to be positioned for a certain amount of racism and simplicity if you can float the idea that yeah let's just blame immigrants or let's blame people of color let's blame blm let's blame antifa or whatever and just grasp onto that intellectually then grasping onto no actually we need you know workers unions we need to organize we need health care for all we need you know economic justice etc she yeah. she actually yeah, go ahead. No, you're fully right. And it's, I mean, it's also a situation where people just don't want to put the blame on capitalism because capitalism is supposed to be the best thing, but it's ruined a lot. Yes, absolutely. Yes, she can't. That's exactly right. That is what I meant to say. That. Let's keep that. Um, let's move on. Because we have one more story to get to that is going to tie into our Juneteenth discussion. Um, this was the week where MAGA Bachelor contestant Ted Cruz continued to try and win the final rose from Trump's base and gave pretty much a sermon about the right's latest monster under the bed, critical race theory. Now, what is critical race theory? You know, I had a... Just this week on Capitol Hill, I had a reporter run up to me. He thought, he thought he had a gotcha. He said, hey, what's critical race theory? Apparently, he thought I would turn to him and say, gosh, I have no idea. I think it's really bad, but I just don't know what it is. You know, because, you know, conservatives are morons and we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> like, he really did think this was such a boy. He really got you there. And I explained to him. I said, well, it's a theory that derives from Marxism. Karl Marx viewed the entire world as a conflict between classes, between the owners of capital and the working men and women, the proletariat, a fundamental battle in society. Critical race theory takes that same Marxist concept, except it replaces class with race. And it says all of America and all of the world is a battle between the races. Critical race theory says every white person is a racist. Critical race theory says America is fundamentally racist and irredeemably racist. Critical race theory seeks to turn us against each other, and if someone has a different color skin, seeks to make us hate that person. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. Okay. Anti-racism is the real racism perfected. Uh, I was wondering. <laughs> oh, the same was... people that said anti-Antifa were fascists. That's <laughs> yes. the level that we're dealing with. 
<laughs> exactly. No, this is, it's white fragility in a speech. And initially when he was like, oh, I know what it means. Blah, blah, blah. You're not going to get me wrong. Like he starts explaining Marxism, which critical race theory isn't. But like he does a pretty good job of explaining Marxism. And I was like, okay, yeah, it is a battle between the proletariat and the those who own the means of production. And yeah, yeah, uh, you know, workers of the world unite, et cetera. And then he goes into this like digression and then kind of like flips it around. He sticks the landing of it is as racist as a Klansman. And I, I mean, we are in a moment... It's it's so crazy because like I f it is the biggest reach obviously because we're in a moment where like the Black Panther Party isn't a thing sadly uh, you know like you know we're not in the late sixties we're not in this moment we're actually in a moment where civil rights is incredibly massive it isn't it, it is a um it's a movement that has caught on even in fucking corporate spheres of yes Black Lives Matter yes we need to change the policing system in this country. Um, and they're just, they're acting like we're in 68, man, and fucking the Panthers came on the scene or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? Like that is, they need the boogeyman so big that yeah. they're completely that's, out of place. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a couple um, of things. It's one, mm -hmm. oversimplification of things is how you trick anybody. If you can oversimplify a concept then people don't have to deal with nuance. They don't even have to deal with it as true. You tell them enough to where they can kind of understand it and then they can let their imaginations go from there. Like if you oversimplify critical race theory and just say it's, it's racial Marxism, then you can get people to believe, oh gosh, like studying something and saying that there's a race problem is exactly the same as actually physically burning a cross on someone's lawn and killing like you can yes. trick them into thinking that by simplifying it and the second part of it is um everyone wants to work hard and nobody wants to act like there's an no one wants to think there's an asterisk towards any of their any of their achievements and mm -hmm. i think in saying that yo we've really done a bad job by black people like we i mean just the fact that Juneteenth is a thing should let you know that like, hey, even mandated rules, people just chose not to not to follow to carry them out because they didn't have to because they felt like they didn't have to. And it's the kind of a thing of like, a lot of people are running a 100 meter, a 100 meter dash, you know, white people running a 100 meter dash. And that's difficult. You talk to anybody who trains for a 100 meter dash. It's difficult. You have to work hard. But at the same time, you're not working as hard as if you were running 100 meter hurdles. Right. <laughs> or a marathon, right? Um, exactly. It's like you're working uh, hard, but you do not have physical hurdles in front of you. And like, no one's saying you're not working hard, but. That's exactly. Oh, that's look such at a. The facts. <laughs> that's such a good metaphor. That's exactly. I mean, that's the thing is they believe their civil rights struggle is understanding the civil rights struggle. Like they, like he's mm -hmm. like their MLK of so-called reverse racism because yeah. that's the same. Learning about racism and my white feelings is the same as actual mm -hmm. racism and 250 years of slavery, 100 years of Jim Crow, et cetera. Right. Um, I do want to just clarify what critical race theory is 
in a way that isn't out of Ted Cruz's mouth, but from one of the founders, um, Professor Kimberly, Kimberly Crenshaw, black feminist pioneer of critical race theory. Uh, she writes or said recently, critical race theory is a practice. It's an approach to grappling with a history of white supremacy that rejects the belief that what's in the past is in the past and that the laws and systems that grow from the past are detached from it, right? What Ted Cruz is just saying, like, we need to forget the past. We need to live now. Um, she teaches at UCLA and Columbia University. Uh, critical race theorists believe that racism is an everyday experience for most people of color and that a large part of society has no interest in doing away with it because it benefits white elites. Exactly what Maggie was just saying. And look, you don't need to read Kimberly Crenshaw's book about critical race theory to understand it. Summer is here. Just watch enough Karen videos uh, calling the police on black people going inside pools they don't think they should be in. Like, you'll get it. That's a whole that's a whole semester right there. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's all right. Two seconds of thought. Like, yeah, laws have been changed. Laws have been passed. But you can't pass any kind of a law that's going to change the hearts that caused that law to be necessary. And I don't even think she was saying essentially the justice system is skewed against towards criminalizing black people in the favor of white Americans. We haven't even changed those laws recently, you know, like we're we're trying and I know we're going to talk more about that. Um, before, and before I bring in um, like the idea Steve, that like slavery being over changing racism, that's dumb, but I'm sorry. <laughs> no, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yes. Right. It's over. Get over it. <sighs> Couple comments before I bring in Stephen. Liu Kang, I believe on YouTube. How uh, on Juneteenth, how will schools cover the context for Juneteenth without covered covering banned curriculum in red states? Exactly. I mean, and I think that's what a lot of people are hoping that this doesn't become is kind of another holiday kind like MLK Day, which just becomes a toothless holiday that we don't even have to reflect on the struggle. We just sort of seamlessly incorporate it. Um but yeah, it's a good question. Senator Manch on Senator Manchin Poe, the freaking Regan Dragon on Twitch. Wait, Manchin is taking bribes from corporate donors to keep the filibuster? Screamy face, of course. No, screamy face is Jank, Jank from TYT. I let that is the creepiest emote I ever did see. Uh Psalm 1983, bipartisanship equals going to campaign financiers instead of working with politicians, apparently. Exactly. Who's he actually he can't even. He's too fucking lazy and shook to even talk to Roy Blunt himself. Can will he even return your calls? Does he even real does he pick up the phone? Oh, fat guy named Tiny. Considering Jesus was a progressive, do conservatives actually think they're getting into heaven? Absolutely. He's a socialist, socialist wearing sandals on anti-vax TikToker Susan Bradley Scov. Has she heard of Medicare for All? Apparently not. Apparently the little lefties on TikTok need to need to work harder. <laughs> we gotta we gotta get her over to our side. Um, Lou, uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. On Ted Cruz, Kermit Watt. What when the going gets tough? Ted Cruz goes on vacation. Absolutely. He's like, and if there ever is anyone burning a cross on your lawn, I will make sure to go to Mexico immediately. I will just leave. <laughs> Like, what do we say to Klansmen? We go to Cancun. Um, amazing. You guys, patreon.com slash bituation room. 
if you want to become a patron, 10 bucks or more gets you that shout out at the beginning of each show. And without further ado, let me bring in this man who worked for 19 years as a labor policy specialist for the Center for Research Education at UC Berkeley. He co-founded the Black Workers Center, and he recently started the podcast Black Work Talk that you all should listen to. Please welcome Stephen Pitts. Hey there. Hey, Maggie. Hey, Francesca. How are you doing? So good, Stephen. Um, it's so really good to have you. The important <laughs> thing you mentioned, I'm retired. That's the important thing. There'll be one year on J July 1st. Congratulations. And you started a podcast. You really, you really like work. I mean, I guess it's about black work and you're proving that you can't get enough of work, can you, Steve? But it's only every other week, though. It's, it's not weekly. So I'm okay. dying down a little bit. Okay. <sighs> okay, good. Well, I, okay, I wanted to get your thoughts on the tail end of that bogus critical race theory discussion uh, with Ted, Mr. Ted Cruz. Um, I just want to ask you why. Why do you think this is the right's like newest dog whistle? Is it just because they learned the term? They think it sounds smart. What are your thoughts? Well, they need ways to distract folk from the real issues of the, of the time, be it insurrection, be it our growing inequality, be it the attempts to try to change things around. They need ways to distract people, basically. And since a lot of their whole stance revolves around race, it makes sense they find some sort of racial thing to kind of change the, 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 the narrative. So they're doing what they do all the time. It could be, you know, welfare moms or Cadillacs or Willie Horton, but they, they find some scary black thing to, to try to hide what they're actually doing. It's just insane. We did a, you know, like we did a comparison of the 2020 election when it came to Trump's talking points and Nixon's talking points. It's the same shit. I mean, it was lit. You could have just replaced vote Nixon, vote Trump with the amount of like, people are in the streets. They're demanding justice. There was like a random photo of like a mannequin that was like charred. It's like, who the fuck cares about a mannequin? You literally, how funny, you ironically showed a charred, not real body when there's like actual real people being murdered and uh, oppressed. Anyway, very, very ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's their latest thing. It's the flavor of the month. I wonder what it'll be. Next, it's just going to be like Beyonce. I mean, it was Beyonce, but, you know, Kelly, whatever, you know, whoever. We'll just go down the line of of Destiny's Child and... um. Stephen, you actually, I believe, were in Texas when Juneteenth was declared a holiday in that state, which is the first place that June, that's sort of where Juneteenth originates because, um, and for those who don't know, uh, Emancipation Proclamation signed by Lincoln in 1863, but uh, two years later, 1865, Union Major General Gordon Granger arrived on the island of Galveston, Texas to enforce the emancipation of slaves and oversee a peaceful transition of power, um, which I think what Maggie was speaking about earlier, what we were talking about is these fools were carrying on as if slavery was still legal and the South hadn't lost. Like they needed a soldier, a union army soldier to come in and enforce that shit. Cause they just weren't going to obey it. Well, we do got to keep in mind that when Lincoln kind of, Frida's quote unquote, <laughs> that <laughs> the war was still going on. 
And it's the idea yes. that that um, slave owners would not take the word of the president and say, oh, damn, I'm sorry, y'all are free. That makes sense to me, by the way. Um, I jokingly say that actually I was in Texas starting in, in 1974, and we actually had a, a black plebiscite over what should be the holiday, my birthday or Juneteenth, and I lost. <laughs> and so instead of my birthday being that national holiday, it's Juneteenth. But, but seriously, though, you know, I, my folks from Alabama, and they, mm -hmm. they met in Chicago, and I was born in Chicago. And Juneteenth was not a thing in Chicago. And it's really, really Texas-specific. And I say it because my thought of Juneteenth is kind of like two different minds. On the one hand, the idea that we recognize, we mean the country, recognize that slavery ended, which implies it was wrong, by the way, <laughs> um, is a good thing to, to do. And, and mm -hmm. we should celebrate that sort of acknowledgement. But I also look at things through the lens of building power and social movements. And social movements are most effective when they're deeply rooted, where people kind of feel something deeply, and they want to run through a brick wall for, for the change. And because of the particularities around Juneteenth in Texas, it's deeply felt in Texas. But you know, in reality, in other parts of the South, they had other Emancipation Days because there are other days that slaves were freed. And it had deeply roots there as well. And my yeah. concern is that to the extent we have a holiday that has some deep roots, but on serious deep roots, it minimized the power we're going to have, Francesca. That's my mm. concern. And we get into, you know, yo, it's a holiday, like you know, okay, we got two black holidays. It's cool now, right? And, mm. and it doesn't really talk about how do we build power to change the world. So it's really important both to reinforce the idea that slavery was evil and we're going to acknowledge that it was evil. It was also important to go beyond just the day and go beyond kind of, oh, that's the past, and examine how you build power to fight capitalism racism today. Mm -hmm. Maggie, what are your thoughts on that? The the sy symbolism versus the, is there a better holiday? Like, is there one where we're like, yeah, this one is about struggle? <laughs> I feel like it's to try to pinpoint what would be the best possible day or what would be the best possible time to, um, commit black struggle like i don't for me personally i don't know that like well we need to find a, a specific i just i mean i'm a kind of a pick one and let's go with it kind of person you know like <laughs> yeah. black people have struggled a lot like we've gone through a lot let's just i mean I, I, me person that's just me personally i'm not you know yeah i don't have a specific day in mind to but it's similar to the conversation that you were talking about, like, you know, the way that statues get erected and, you know, immediately, which is it's fun to see, you know, Robert E. Lee's statue get like completely graffitied over. And then I think the liberal conversation is like, well, who should we put up instead? You know, and there is a part of my aesthetic brain that's like, I would like to see, you know, like Sojourner Truth or, you know, somebody like. A, a better statue, you know, or um, someone up there. But then it it is it is so vapid. It is so um, it's so thin. And what Stephen's saying, and I agree with that, is like it's not. It isn't about like the actual work and the struggle and actually making change. You know, we are in a moment where even the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, which is minimal, it is not the revolutionary or even 
I wouldn't even call it transformative, but it is a minimal federal legislation that does minimal things when it comes to an out of control police force. Um, even we can't get that shit passed. Um, yeah. Fran Francesca, don't be put another example. I do example agree that it seems really performative, especially mm -hmm. since like nothing else is like, like Juneteenth is not going to change anything. If you want a day to commemorate black struggle, you know, go for it. But like, it's not fixing anything. It's not, helping black struggle it's not like ameliorating any of the issues that are you know leading to people wanting to make it a performative gesture right i think it's important to recognize that things have less performative elements to it or, or less symbolic with actual power driving it and to the extent there's not a lot of power driving something it becomes more symbolic it's easy to become quickly to, be, to, to become a performative stance. Let me give you an example. So I was in Houston doing some organizing, kind of got out of college, kind of crazy, good old days of the 60s and 70s. Let's go change the world. And I was working in a factory in Houston. And this is before they actually had a, a state holiday in Texas on Juneteenth. But because of the depth of, of the, the energy there that black folks felt, people mm -hmm. actually organized a walkout in the factory on Juneteenth that we, we, we didn't have to have a contract union holiday. We didn't have to have a state holiday. You said, fuck it, we're out of here. Mm -hmm. And that sort of power gives things really, really, really substance there. And to the extent that that doesn't exist, then quickly we get into, we need a better holiday. We need a better statue. Instead of saying, what drives folk to change their behavior, to work together, to change the world? Yeah. Yeah, having having I mean, I think it's a little bit of also the bottom up versus the top down type thing, you know, like um, I think the bottom up when it comes to racial justice in this moment is like I'm saying a real cry for um, real, real reform, if not abolition <laughs> of the criminal justice of, of policing. Right. Um and that's the bottom, that would be the bottom up win. We got a top down win and that's, that's a, still, it can be exciting, but uh, yeah, we need, we need more, more bite behind it. Um, Steven, we're in a moment where all eyes have been on the worker and you have a podcast called Black Work Talk. Um, you know, during the pandemic, we couldn't hear enough of essential workers this, essential workers that, historically um, groups you know, black and brown women disproportionately who've been ignored, overlooked, taken for granted, whether it's nurses, whether it's service uh, workers, all kinds of workers. Um, and now we're emerging out of that pandemic, knock on wood, of course. And that language is sort of falling by the wayside where, you know, and, and instead you're getting this right wing narrative of, well, workers just don't want to work anymore. Well, these workers, they I mean, well, they, they, they've gotten a paycheck from the government for too long. We're talking about unemployment benefits. And that's why restaurants can't find wait staff. What is your response to that? Obviously, you know, sort of right wing narrative. And, and what do you think is actually going on? You mean my response after turn the TV off? Or <laughs> before I turn the TV off response? Um, but, but, but seriously, though, I mean, in some ways facts don't matter because they aren't driven by facts. Mm -hmm. But the facts say that we don't, we have any sort of long-term shortage. Because what would normally happen is that if someone can't find a worker, you would offer more wages and all of a sudden people come. Mm -hmm. And what's happened in most situations is that simply that, that because of kind of this first, the first shock being pandemic, mm 
Now, the second shock being the response to and people going back into restaurants and so forth. And all of a sudden, oh, damn, I need somebody. Let me find somebody. You can't find someone on day one. You offer more wages than day two. Day three, people show up. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It actually <laughs> works, doesn't it? And so as short as it exists where you, where you increase wages, but you can't find people. And that's not the dominant experience we're finding here at all. So first yeah. of all, the facts that they, they lay out there aren't accurate. They would be surprised, by the way. They, they wouldn't be driven by facts. But this time, for at least, for sure, the facts don't align with what they're saying. Second thing is that really we shouldn't be driven by some question of how low can we drive wages to get people to work? The question should be, how do we have a better society? Which means that people mm-hmm. have good working conditions. They have power over the, those conditions. That should be the starting point. And what mm-hmm. drives the, the kind of false narrative that, that they're bringing is simply that we might have said we ended slavery, but can we get back to as close as possible? And given that's the goal to get back to as close as possible, they want to drive wages down as low as they can and wipe out worker power. That's what's actually happening. But the facts say that we aren't having any widespread shortage that's going to last a long time. We had a massive shutdown of the economy. It'll take time to adjust. Yeah, You, you can't turn a ship around overnight. Um, that Titanic tried and kind of collapsed, didn't it? Um, and so it takes a little time to do, make these changes. You know, yeah. It'll happen. It feels like the conversation is very much, you know, yeah, folks aren't rushing back to work. And the Republican response is you lower the wages. You know what I mean? Um, people are getting paid too much. And the left wing response is no, raise the wages, uh, which you would think would make more sense. Um, you know, and they're saying the right is saying no, lower wages and also get rid of any kind of assistance, which has literally kept 10 million people out of poverty in the last year. Doesn't matter. Um, like cut everything, cut unemployment benefits, et cetera. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I think for me, what sucks is you've got the Biden administration being like, yeah, you can get rid of unemployment benefits. We don't need them anymore. We're fine. You know, no, no, that's that's cool because you got, you know, red state after red state, like rolling back these unemployment benefits. Um, meanwhile, in the blue state of California, let me tell you, it is very backed up, very backed up. Uh, someone who's in this trying to get in the system. No, but um. I guess I want to talk to you also about like your podcast and like why you have a podcast called Black Work Talk. You know, I think in the mainstream media, we have a narrative of the working class and it's almost like a phantom word white that just gets thrown in there when you talk about the working class when actually disproportionately um, African-Americans are more of the working class, right, than white people. Um, So why... Why Black Work Talk? Why is it important to center, especially in radical discussions, especially with socialists? Why is it important to um, understand the unique position for you of Black American workers? In a lot of ways, the podcast and extension of my work at the Labor Center for those 19 years. And what grounded the work in the Labor Center is the notion that race and class are fundamentally intertwined. It's not the either or. You can't mm-hmm. really talk about the conditions of, of anybody but looking at race and class. And in terms of actual politics, it meant that that too often times in the labor movement, black folks were invisible, but also too often times in black politics, workers were invisible. We talk mm. a whole lot about Tulsa and then the massacre then, and we focused on black Wall Street. We don't focus on the black workers in Tulsa who 
lost their jobs, lost their homes, and so forth. So it really has a, a two-pronged purpose of the podcast to talk about economics and bring the race into that, but also talk about, about racial things, bring class in that as, as well. It's the idea when you do that, you catch the reality of black workers much better when you have an either-or perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think that one thing I heard you, uh, recently on your podcast, um, I think you were talking with Michael Dawson. Yeah. 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 And you guys were talking about sort of neoliberalism and, and speaking of this performativeness, um, the ways that, um, identity politics has been so devoid of actual politics that it lifts up, um, representation as the end all be all of, black liberation or, or, or racial justice. Mm. And that what I see is I think a lot of socialists look at that neoliberal uh, representation and are like, i.e. Obama, i.e. Vice President Kamala Harris, and are like, nah, fuck that. It's all about class. It's not about race. And they they completely go, a one, they, they do a backlash, a very unhealthy backlash a, may I say a racist backlash to um, sort of black neoliberals in a way um, that makes them not have a radical politics. Do you, I feel like this is a tale as old as time when it comes to radical politics that like every party, every leftist Marxist Leninist party has always been like, nah, it's only about class. And then they're fighting with, you know, the people of color in their midst. Wow, you said a whole lot there, Francis. Want to come my podcast and talk some more about this stuff? Okay. I um, no, I'm just I'm learning from your podcast. This is what I've you know. But being more yeah. serious, I think so. Michael Dawson had the phrase, um, "the neoliberal racial order," and to me, there's two important elements of that notion of a neoliberal racial order. One's the fact, as I said before, that our economics and our race stuff is tied tied together. So you can't speak of neoliberalism without speaking about race. You can't, you can't do that. So that's, that's one purpose of the term, the tie together. Equally important, there are a lot of folk who are, who are on our side in racial justice, but see the world through a racial justice lens. And when they have that kind of way of looking at the world, their attempts to solve racial, ra structural racism will always be insufficient. So I think that the term was important in both those realms. So people see that we have really an economic system that's deeply embedded with the question of racism. You can't untie them. Equally important, there's a large number of friends, quote unquote, be they corporate elites, friends, whatever, or liberals who see issues of race through the question of maintaining a capitalist order. Mm. And that will always ill-serve black workers. And so when people talk about how it's only this, only that, I say, talk to real people have an in-depth discussion of the experiences, and you see both things come out. You'll see black workers talk about the fact that they couldn't get a, get a skilled job, but they trained some drunk white boy for that job, okay? Boston understand that they try to get a job, and the black person who's employing them gives them shitty wages. So both things exist, and we need right. to honor both of the things and fight back against both those things. Maggie, I wanted to give you a chance to weigh in or ask a question or any any thought on what about our, any the the comedy industry? Our <laughs> we're we're finally talking about actually paying ourselves for once in our goddamn lives. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Stephen was talking, it just 
for me was like this is like classic oversimplification like it's concentrate on one and you're not concentrating on everything and like and it's hard i get it it's hard to like everything but then just the concentrating on one helping anything so it's Mm -hmm. I, i don't know what's I don't know if it's education or I don't know if it's like what needs to be done to where we look at problems from a gestalt point of view rather than just pick one thing and then go from there. What's also so beneficial to capitalists to divide workers based on race, you know, and I feel like, Stephen, you talk about the labor movement a lot and the labor movement's done that to itself. And we still struggle with that. I mean, we. I feel like when we talked earlier about this TikTok lady being like, you know, she goes on in that video and she's like, you know, like liberals just need to frame this better. And it's like, you mean liberals need to not be like people of color or Muslim or like, you know, frame things in a way that like actually incorporates legacies of racial capitalism, things like slavery, you know, and, and it's like, that's where I can't get down with the fucking populace on the left and the right need to come together because that right wing populism is deeply rooted in like reactionary racist stuff. Um, and and I think that too many leftists flirt with the idea that we can do that, but we actually cannot. <laughs> um, yeah. But but the, the, the to me, the, the first step, the solution. I'm so, go on, Maggie, go on. I was just going to say, I think that the people who think that that is possible don't have to live in a world where they're affected by it. Like, it's easier to look at a problem from the outside and be like, oh, we can just all come together and I'll play my guitar and we'll kumbaya this thing out. And it's like, but what what side are you looking at that from? Like, yeah, you don't you don't have to have anything negative happen to you if that doesn't work out like you thought it did. Totally. Like you are no different if, if you know, if that doesn't work out, it's business as usual for you and no skin off of your nose. Yeah. And what I was going to say That's is that the, pe- <laughs> the people are whole people. They aren't like, I'm a worker from nine to five and a black person from five to nine, right? Yeah, someone said on my podcast, I'm black 24 seven. Okay, which means that all the I'm also a worker 24-7. And so to me, the way, way you solve some of these kind of false dichotomies is actually to talk to real people mm-hmm. and examine their, their concerns, their needs, and how do you move them to, to fight collectively to change the world? And when you, when you start from there and not from what wins 55 votes in DC, or how do we get a, a smart meme to move somebody in some strange place in Texas, you start with people. You begin to see the, the nuances of that the lives you live. Could we live nuanced lives? You can find ways to actually push back. But only when we talk, when we start with conversations, it being the starting and end point, this all, all fucked up. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I know. I That means I have to be nicer to this TikTok lady and uh, meet her where she's at, which might be Medicare for all. And then, you know, then we can talk about BLM a little bit later. Uh, but that's just a process. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to, by the way, be nice to her. You really don't. Um, <laughs> no, could- I am. I am th- just the <laughs> amount of handholding. I feel like the amount of handholding that that white people need is just it's too much. And uh, I 
as someone who uh, does benefit from privilege, I uh, accept my responsibility to hold that hand and to bring these people. <laughs> but, 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 uh, but seriously, Francesca, to me, that's not the the the, the task. Not to hold hands, it's to understand the nature of exploitation and oppression and change the world. And I think that when you do that, when you start with that kind of perspective, become more effective and say, I want to hold your hand. Because that almost implicitly is somewhat condescending, by the way. I'm sure she would say, I don't want to hold your hand, girl. I don't want I don't I want to hold your hand. I want to do something else. I want to pull you by the sleeve. No, I want to. Right. So how do we find how do we find ways to, to have people look look at the, their lives in ways that you can change their lives? That needs to be done. And maybe Miss TikTok, Miss TikTok lady is the last the person we talk to. A pre-revolution will give her a call. I, I feel so. Yeah. We oh god. I, I don't want to talk. She's like the theme of the whole fucking show at this point. Um, thank you, Stephen. You're right. It is. It is deeper than. It's not about holding hands. And I yes, I shouldn't say that. It is about struggling with, and and that is condescending. Um. I like how Steven's just like painting. He's very, he's the lead. You're not petty. Why aren't you petty enough, Steven? It's Juneteenth. You could be petty. Let's be petty. I can be petty now. You, you, you didn't ask for petty though. You said you wanted to know Dr. Pittsburgh, but I can be petty now, okay? <laughs> uh, let's be petty. Let's move on to our last segment. It's a fun one. Steven, will you stick with us? Yes. Okay. And Maggie's only, still here. What if I can be petty though? Can be petty? Please, please be petty in our next on. segment. Bring it on. Bring it on, girl. Okay, this is the most petty. I didn't change the full... If you guys are watching, I didn't change the actual um, uh, uh, interstitial, but that doesn't matter. I am without Becca. Have I mentioned this? Um, please become a patron. <laughs> uh, we are talking about, given that Benefer is back together, Benefer 2.0 in the year 2021, we're talking about other things from the 2000s that we want again. This is Bring It Back. And for Bring It Back, let's just let's just remind ourselves of what Benefer in 2003 and Benefer in 2021 look like making out photographed by paparazzi just uh dreamy Ben has a few more Dunkin' Donuts in him, more facial hair. J-Lo looks better than any human has ever looked ever in their lives. Pre past, future, past, present, and future, J-Lo is probably the fittest. Hear ye, hear ye, the fittest. Um, and because of that, first of all, feel free. Any thoughts on Benefer? But also, what do you want back from the early 2000s? Circa wasn't a great moment in American history, I'm going to be real. But around 2000 to 2004, what did you like? What do you, what do you want back? Maggie, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, um, I want Jinkos back because I kept my old ones and they're bigger than all of y'all's. And so... Oh, I would love to just flex on y'all. I want to be in an environment where I'm able to flex on y'all's inferior jinkos. Um, and also, <laughs> I want Screamo to come back in a big way. Screamo was real big in like 2004, 2005, 2000. Like that, that was like really when it was like cooking. I want this to come back. Does everybody like Screamo? No. Screamo? Do I care? No, no idea. I want to go to work for a dance. <laughs> 
Wait, yeah, is Warped Tour I want still Take happening? It Back Sunday to come out with a new album. It should be. I want it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Jankos were like come out super with a new wide. Album and send that mic around your neck. Okay, Jank, Jank, Screamo is an aggressive subgenre of emo. I didn't know this. That emerged in the early '90s and emphasized willful experimental dissonance. Hell yeah! <laughs> and Jenkos were like the most giant bell bottoms of ever, forever. Just huge. You're tall, so I, I know yeah, you can. Yeah, they were those. like 29 inches. Mine are 44s, so. <laughs> I'm ready to put a crop top on and hurt some feelings. <laughs> oh my god! All right, uh, I'm gonna go and then I'll ask Steve. Actually, no, Stephen. What do you What do you think? What do you want back from the early 2000s? Right, a question though. If we're talking about Benefer and being petty, okay. If If you mentioned having Benefer 2.0, mm -hmm. what's that movie they made? Was it Jig Giggly? Jiggly? Jiggly. Never saw it. Never will. But can we see Jiggly, Jiggly. 2.0? G, can we can we Jiggly 2.0 to improve upon that movie? I, I didn't see it. Here is trash, by the way. But can we get a Jiggly 2.0? That'd be an advance they can it bring is. forth to the nation. Okay, we should. That would be good. I just I think it should just be J Lo sitting down and talking about all of her relationships and like why, and them being like, well, why did you marry Mark Anthony the year you broke up with Ben? And why didn't you stay with Mark Anthony? Because honestly, I would put Mark Mark Anthony at the top of the pile there. I know. So we have we can have a director's cut of that that interview, or be a, a PG version of the interview. Which <laughs> yes, one we're gonna yes. have? I want a director's cut. I want the whole thing. I want all the commentary. Um, okay, so you want Jiggly 2.0? I like this. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want back? On the serious tip, I love music, and I know we had the Soul Aquarians back then with D'Angelo and Common and Jay, and Jay Dilla and folk. They never made an album. They never made an album together. So that's what I want. Want them to come together, some from the grave, by the way, and give us a Soul Cram album. <laughs> okay, I love this. I'm looking at people's comments, you guys. What do you want back from the early 2000s? Lellen Miller on YouTube wants, bring Eminem back. You know he's wrote more stuff making fun of Trump. <laughs> yeah, except for the awfully hot coffee pot. Um, there was that one. Remember that? Um, people are remembering Screamo. Miss Tina on Twitch. Madonna? Yeah, she's she's around. I don't know if she's back. Um, but yeah, it's true. Uh, I would like, okay, here we go. I would like a robust anti-war movement. We had it in the early 2000s. It was good. We took the streets. We shut shit down. Now the anti-war movement is like Medea Benjamin in a pink hat on, you know, with code pink and like a boa. And, you know, fucking tankies on Twitter being like, we must defend Assad. Otherwise, you're not anti-war. I hate it. I I basically don't like the anti-war movement right now. It's whack. Um, that's another thing I want to bring back whack. If people don't say it, I am. Um, I want that anti-war movement. I want us taking the streets on some shit. Uh, I want us, you know, celebrating Barbara Lee. Rep uh, Representative Barbara Lee for uh, helping get rid of the AUMF. I want to pressure Mitch McConnell on the AUMF. AUMF. And, okay, I don't want Twitter or Facebook. I want Blogspot back, guys. I want, I used to have a blog that I would post photos of me and my friends that I would take with a digital camera and I would post them 
and you could just scroll. And everyone thought I was like, that's so crazy for Jessica that you have like a blog and oh, it's cute. And it's all me and my friends. And I, it was so quaint. I love that. I love that internet. Early 2000s internet is the best internet. I don't care. It's like early Tumblr, fucking blog spot, a little bit of MySpace. None of this Twitter Zanga. hangover. Zanga. But I have a I question want my Zanga back if we're if we had, Zanga. But if we had 2000 internet, what have, what have happened to, you, to this podcast, though? Stop. Don't lose me in the space-time continuum of my dreams, Stephen. <laughs> I haven't thought that far in advance. Um, I mean, if we're It'll going back to edge. 2000... It'll be the first podcast. Exactly. It'll be like I will have discovered Twitch and YouTube and live streaming and people are like, oh, shit, and then I will have a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And then I could, you know, hire Becca for real. And, you know, then we could all go to Palm Springs. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm sort of, I appreciate Maggie's helping me out here. Um, all right, you guys, any any other comments? Let me, let me, let me look at these. Who's, who's got something? Who's, who's got anything? Live journal? Live journal was a thing. That's from Multiball on Twitch. What was that again? Was that to watch, to read articles and stuff? Or it was like a Substack situation? Um, Yahoo Messenger says Roosevelt Republicans of America, but spelled it Messenger. Nice. Hell yeah. That is a very Yahoo thing to do is to misspell Messenger. I like that. Um, all right. Uh, Zero PE says Napster. Don't even get me started on down illegally downloading music. I... I got into a lot of trouble illegally downloading music and my university ratted me out. That is a story for another time. Uh, Steven Pitts, thank you so much for being here. Um, where can people find you and your work? Um, my podcast um, at www.blackworktalk.com. And we come out every oh, yeah. two weeks. We're about to close season one, two more episodes. Nice. Um, and then we're going to start season two around August and keep going forth to the conquer the world. And do you have a MySpace? A what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Correct answer. Um, everybody listen to Black Work Talk. Uh, really deep deep dive discussions. It, it's great. It's wonky. And you'll love it. Um, thank you so much, Stephen, for being here. Take very good care uh, on this Juneteenth. Have Get out there and enjoy the rest of your day. But also, Francis, enjoy your father. That's really important. You can see him again. I'm really happy you can do that. So truly enjoy him, okay? Really do Thank that. you. Thanks so much. I, I, I will. At a distance. Masked. But I will. All right. Take very good care, Stephen. And Maggie, where can people find your work? I am on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, it's Maggie May Haha. Maggie spelled normally. May spelled M-A-Y-E. Haha spelled normally um i'm also on tiktok but i haven't made any videos yet but you can go follow me and be my friend send me videos and stuff <laughs> i'll get on it as Hell soon yeah. as i figure out how to make some edits as soon as i know how to edit my busted down video i'll uh, i'll put it up there <laughs> i'm telling you some i need a 21 year old to explain to me how everything works i feel like the oldest person alive when i'm like i don't know how to how do you <sighs> um also, everybody, if you get a chance, see Maggie May live uh, or any any stand-up show. She's delightful. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Hell yeah. Take very good care. And thank you all. Oh, my God. My Saturday crew. Fran Tifa mounting up on a Saturday on a Juneteenth. 
hopefully poolside once again in a home that is not yours. Uh, and just like, you know, the colonizers that came to this country. Okay. A couple more comments. Let me read these. Uh, Feasty Beastie won on Juneteenth. We skipped a bunch of steps. Voting rights were reparations, less police brutality, and put a Band-Aid on a severed leg with Juneteenth. I saw that meme too, but you're not wrong. Uh, and Ubitsa77, if conservatives never get challenged on their racism, it will never get better. So many people live in the Fox bubble now with Newsma Newsmax and OAN. 100%. It's important to keep on actually challenging them, even though it's painful. It stings. Um, and finally, my favorite comment of this entire stream, uh, YWD Warner says that they want CO2 levels back from the year 2000. Agreed. Can you imagine? This was my tweet. I can't remember what I said, but it was something to the effect of like, you know, if we had taken the war on terror, if we had taken climate change as seriously as we did the war on terror, we would have a few uh, oil executives. Um, we would have waterboarded a few oil executives by now. That was what I had said, <laughs> meaning we would have at least tried. We would have done a terrible job at it, but we would have at least tried. But honestly, 2001, I can't even think about it because it's when Al Gore had the election stolen from him, the guy who was like put put climate change on the map and who took it very seriously. And and literally, I've said this before, I want 20 years of my life back. I want 20 years of the planet back. I want 20 years of this fucking country back without two plus wars, Bush, Trump, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, guys, Osama bin Laden's niece just came out in favor of Donald Trump. In fact, was on a boat engine in outside of the G7 with a Trump flag. His niece. I don't even know how to make sense of that in my fucking brain. You guys, thank you for being here. You're the best. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. Thank you for dealing with all of my like insanity, craziness, um, overexertion on a Saturday. Thank you to Maximilian who is helping me out with the with the with the comments. And for to Becca Roofer and to um, Ellie Hoffman always, and um, to Alexandra who is just joined us uh, on this little small but mighty team. And thank you all for being here. Remember, fight the power, fuck the patriarchy, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Bye bye.